as you seek your purpose, your purpose is seeking you. <laughs> and that's kind of how it felt at that time. William Meader is dedicated to promoting the spiritual journey and the evolution of human consciousness. Uh, the phone rings exactly when you need to hear from that person. These are not random. These are There's a larger understanding of a type of intelligence that is non-linear in time. He's a teacher of esoteric philosophy and an esoteric astrologer. And I'm really happy to have him with us today for a conversation about life. Hi, I'm William Meter, and I'm on the Soulful Therapist podcast. Hi folks, I'm Anne-Marie, the Soulful Therapist. There are natural, gentle ways to heal, discover yourself and find meaning in the world. Let me introduce you to them. I'm a psychotherapist, past life therapist, clinical hypnotherapist, master knitter, Reiki master, teacher, author and seer. I specialize in trauma, helping young people and spiritual development. Shall we begin? Hello, William. Hello, Anne-Marie. Nice to hear from you. Yeah. So you might not know this, but I actually found out about your work when I was on the phone from one of the Alice Springs mobs. So I was a part of a community of healers and uh, psychics and visionaries. And the most wonderful thing about that community in the 1990s is that once you're a part of it, you're always a part of it. So I got this phone call about three years ago and somebody said, there's a bloke coming your way and he's really good. So you might want to go to one of his talks when he's in Adelaide. And whenever we get a recommendation like that from one of this particular mob, it's something you really pay attention to. So that was nearly three years ago now. And I remember sitting and listening to one of your first talks and I went, oh, my brain's going to need to stretch. And fortunately, my brain did stretch and it was really wonderful. So I've learned so much and there's so much of what you've taught uh, in those talks that I've actually brought into the clinic. So I've had other people that have really benefited from your teaching. So welcome and thank you so much. And I also want to introduce you to and acknowledge our listeners. So they're a fabulous group of people. What I love about them is they ask great questions and they love to explore new thinking. And so they're into the whole brain stretching as well. So what I want to do today is really have a conversation about the esoteric philosophy and what I love about it and what I love about your work is that whole idea of let's apply this in a practical way into our lives. So how about you start? I've mentioned uh, esoteric philosophy in uh, some of the previous episodes, but this is our first opportunity to explore it with someone who's really delved into it deeply. So can you give us like a bit of an introduction and some definitions and I know you talk a lot about foundations, so I reckon that's a great place to start. Well, I guess the beginning, to begin, let me just say that the esoteric philosophy is not a theology. It's a set of deep philosophic ideas that people are just simply encouraged to consider and see if life makes more sense when using these ideas as you look out at life and circumstance. It's a, it is believed to be the oldest philosophy in the world. It is, it is thought to be the metaphysical or the mystical root behind all world religions. It's also been associated with um, the great philosophers of Plato and Pythagoras. In fact, we know that they were of this philosophy simply because of the way they thought things through. Uh, but it has, it has threads of connection to the Chaldeans, to the ancient Egyptians, um, uh, as well as, I say, to the major world religions. But again, it's not a religion in its own right. 
Um, the reason why it's called esoteric, uh, well, I should mention that there are other names for it. It's been called the perennial philosophy. It's been called the ageless wisdom. It's also been called theosophy. Um, and the, the term esoteric is important because it's, it, it really means uh, the search for that which is hidden deep within. Um, and in a way, anybody who is spiritually oriented, who's looking deep within themselves to sense that deeper, more truthful aspect of your more eternal identity, and you're doing it both with heart and mind, uh, you are an esotericist, whether you realize it or not. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, it is a, it's a philosophy that has many branches to it, too. There's a there's a there's something called esoteric psychology that's a branch from it there's something having to do with the esoteric healing esoteric astrology there's a cosmology uh, part to it um, and there's a magical or creative uh, component to it well so it's it's a vast philosophy but at the same time it's rooted in some very fundamental and relatively simple principles as well so if you're seeking there's a lot to find yeah, if you're seeking, there's a lot to find. And the nice thing about it is that people who have different um, religious um, uh, orientations, it doesn't matter if you have a Christian background or a Hindu background or a, um, not a, a, or, or, or even a, a Jewish background or not a, any kind of religious background at all. The idea behind this philosophy is it tries to recognize fundamental truths that can link uh, all religions together on some level. This philosophy would say that no religion has found the truth, but every religion has found a piece of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the foundation of it. I find that's really wonderful. That's one of the things I love about it, is that it tends to unite and bring people together and gives you a way to have a conversation with each other. So I've got friends that are Buddhist and Hindu and um, you know Islamic, and this sort of gives you a common way to sort of come together rather than emphasizing our differences. Mm -hmm. So one of the common questions that people will say to me when they come into the clinic is they usually say with some puzzlement and usually they're suffering a bit when they walk through the door, they go, what is going on? And so that was one of the questions I wanted to sort of present to you. Like what is going on at the moment in the world? And we can see that there's a lot of chaos and um, people are struggling and finding it difficult. Some people have got big financial issues. Some people have just got this real um, spiritual vacuum that they're thinking that, gee, something should be happening here. And then we look around and everybody seems to be fighting with each other. So what is going on as far as the esoteric philosophy? Okay, that's a great question. And to answer it, I'm going to have to take us to a larger picture. Um, First, understand that the that in this philosophy, it's understood that humanity is one entity, one being. And that one entity, that one being, is constitutionally the same as an individual human being. The one humanity has a single soul, and it also has a personality. It has a higher and lower nature to itself. And that at times, its higher nature, the soul, is trying to impress itself onto the personality or the lower nature of humanity. And um, what happens when that occurs is that a lot of issues that are kind of shadowy issues come rising to the surface. It's just like you and I. There are times when you and I 
individually. We have periods in our lives when we start awakening more to the soul and we decide that we want to live more from that perspective. But on the heels of that awakening comes a tendency often by the personality to assert its authority. And so um, there's a whole process here of, of, of the idea that a lot of times major transformations in human consciousness have crisis at the front door. Mm -hmm. uh, crisis is always a prelude to any expansion of consciousness, whether we're talking about an individual or the collective whole. And that's what's going on in the world today. Humanity is in a huge, huge transition. It's a transition that has both a astrological basis to it, as well as a rheological basis to it. Mm -hmm. The astrological transition is from the Piscean era to the Aquarian era. The rheological influence is from a seven, a sixth ray age to a seventh ray age. These two, these two dynamics are overlapping and causing a lot of polarity within human human consciousness and but it's all kind of part of what is called the burning ground that the the fact that humanity has to walk across hot coals in order to prove its fitness to move into the next level of united awareness uh, just like you and i we have to prove ourselves we have to demonstrate that we can transform the lower so that it becomes the servant of the higher within ourselves and that's by analogy, that's what's happening globally today. Yeah. So I have a lot of people that come, you know, in to see me and quite often they're in crisis and they are suffering. And the the almost the prompt is to run away from it, run away, run away. And so we have a lot of people struggling with, you know, drug and alcohol problems and other sorts of addictions, which is this, I, I want to get away from the suffering. And what I find people struggling with a lot is this idea that actually if you turn around and you actually embrace whatever this crisis is, um, oftentimes there's your solution there. That's your opportunity then to grow. But it can be incredibly painful for people. And so oh, yeah. what, what you're saying is that not only do people do that, but we've got whole country nations that do it and races that do it, and then we've got the, the bigger picture as well as humanity. That's right. And that's a good point you're bringing up. In the esoteric philosophy, not only is all of humanity considered one entity, but on a slightly smaller scale, a country is a being. Australia is an entity, a living entity, and it has a soul, and it has a personality, and it's trying to transform the lower in support of the higher, just like you and me. So, um, and it also applies to social systems. You know, for instance, government is also understood as a, a category of consciousness with a higher and lower nature. So is education, the business world, the arts, science, religion, all of these are categories of human consciousness evolving over the vastness of time. Each has a higher low and lower nature and pretty much globally, each is struggling uh, between those two at this very time. So the macrocosm and the microcosm, the whole and the part, the drama of evolution and the crisis associated with it is a direct parallel. Hmm. I think it's very fascinating, and this is a point that you've sort of pointed to um, that I really loved learning about, you know, the concept that everything comes from this one, you know, consciousness, and that actually makes everything spiritual. 
And what I find at the moment, there's a real temptation to watch the news or get on social media and go, oh dear, those business people, they're terrible. Look what they're doing. Or, you know, look at these politicians. They're terrible. Look what they're doing. But the, the key thing I took away from one of your talks, and it really made me think, was that if everything comes from the one, then everything is spiritual. And I'm like, huh, it's just such a um, inclusive and embracing way to think about you know, reality. Yeah, yeah. Everything is spiritual, and yet over the vastness of time, certain categories of consciousness are progressive and certain categories of consciousness are tending to, to hold things back. You know, a, um, a way of looking at it is that um, humanity evolves through its relationship to ideations. We, we evolve through our relationship to new and, new and progressive ideas. We, we have these incredible insights in, in the Department of Education, Science, the Arts, Business, whatever. And we, we grow from, from them and eventually Though, you know, as long as it makes us expand our awareness and helps us grow, then great. But every idea runs its course and has, it comes to a point where it's given us all that it can. And then, and then we need to move to the next paradigm. But there's a, there's a tendency in human consciousness for the lower self to become overly habitualized to the old idea. And when that happens, there's a resistance to change. You know, I often, when speaking to new groups of people around the world, I'll often use a simple uh, analogy. It's, it's it always remember that um, that which is one's temple today will become their prison tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The ideas that we hold as near and dear, as long as they help us grow, fantastic. But eventually they um, give us all they can and now become habitualized and we should, we need to break free, but we, we don't. We, we resist that, the lower self resists that. And so what was a temple has now become a prison. Mm-hmm. And we become prisoners of old ideas, prisoners to the past. And um, the irony of that is not only do we become prisoners of a, in this prison, but we also take on the role of the warden and the guard. Oh gosh. <laughs> Great irony. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's always the lower nature that is resisting the the new promptings. I think that's really interesting because as you go through life, you can actually see and hope I don't become one of them, but one of you can see people who actually stop and go, enough now. Now I'm just going to work with my habits and I'm quite happy where I'm at. And they choose not to go forward or, or not to grow or go into new directions. And, and it's a little bit seductive because you get to be a grown-up, and I'm not sure I've arrived yet, but maybe... I will soon. Um, and you go, you know, I feel like I'm actually quite competent. There's quite a few things I do particularly well and I can feel really proud of myself for that. Um, and it can be, you know, as you've got that increasing sense of competence, there can be a real fear and a real, um, you know, challenge in around going, hang on a second, there's still things that I can grow and move into and keep learning right up until, you know, the day you pass over. Um, and right. I think that's a challenge for people. Absolutely. And I, in this, you know, I tell, I tell groups everywhere, I always say, look, just keep in mind that the more, the more you commit yourself to try to live from your higher nature, the, the more you will discover that it's in the last third of the life where an individual will tend to make his or her finest contribution in terms of human betterment. 
the world will often say that you're in your prime in your 30s and your 40s and be happy with that. But the truth is that that's only from a personality point of view. From the soul's point of view, it's the last third of the life. And, and it, it, to, to get there, it means to commit yourself to more and more recognizing the soul and trying to shape your actions and reactions from its, its level of understanding. Um, and you get into the last third of your life and um, it, it's time to really start to shine from a soul perspective. I really love that. And I've been sharing that wisdom a little bit with you know older um, Australians who come and have a bit of a chat to me because as a white Western culture, that, that position as elder, which so many indigenous cultures have that place and role and know how it works. I think we've really lost that. We're not really sure. So um, I think that, you know, teenagers are often seen as the rebels that create new cultures and ways of being. But I think, you know, those of us who are getting into that third, um, you know, that last third of life, I think that's our opportunity coming up uh, very soon. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just wanted to ask you is... How did you actually get into this, um, into the esoteric philosophy? What prompted you? Well, wow, my goodness. Um, I discovered it in an unusual way in my mid-20s, so we're now talking about nearly 40 years ago. And um, I had was living in Los Angeles at the time, and at the time when I was listening to a radio broadcast of, of somebody being interviewed on L.A. radio, and it was a man that was talking about the theme of the reappearance of the Christ. And the way he was discussing that was so different than anything from a Christian perspective that I had ever heard that I was very intrigued by that. And it happened that this was a British man who was actually going to be speaking at a in a location the next day in LA. And so I went to hear him. And um, in, in that presentation, he mentioned a body of literature that really caught my attention. He mentioned the work of Alice Bailey and Theosophy. Mm -hmm. And I, at that time, I didn't know what that was. Um, I was already spiritually oriented because I started learning meditation, transcendental meditation, when I was 16. Wow. But I had never heard this before. And so I went to a local metaphysical bookstore in, in L.A. and uh, looked up that literature and found it and began to read it. And boy, I tell you, it was like coming home. And um and in a way, the rest is history. It's it's become the the focal point of my entire life, and what I do to support um, bringing this understanding to others. It almost seems like there are those perfect moments in time, and you're just sort of drawn forward into your purpose. And that sounds like what you're describing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's sort of like um, it, as you seek your purpose, your purpose is seeking you, <laughs> and that's kind of how it felt at that time. Yeah. And that's another common question that I actually get from people. Sometimes I almost feel like uh, if you know a little more, sometimes people almost approach you like a vending machine and say, if I put my money in, then I'm going to get out, you know, my fortune cookie. And um, it's quite tricky sometimes to explain to people that um, that's not quite how it works. But their question is, which is where they want their fortune cookie back out, is what's my purpose? So people will yeah. quite often come to me and they've got a deep sense of yearning and they're, they're after that feeling that you discovered, which is coming home and sitting within their own um, you know, unique nature. So they often say, well, what's my purpose? And I know you've just put up some beautiful videos on your website actually looking at soul purpose. And 
I love it when you say, um, I actually can't tell you what your sole purpose is. And I'd like you to elaborate for people, you know, why not? Why can't we use you like a vending machine, William, and just say, here's your money, where's my fortune cookie? Right, right. Now, I get this question all the time as well. Um, uh, and, and the reason I can't answer it in the fullest sense I can provide I can provide certain clues to look out for, but I no no human being can tell another person what their purpose is. Actually, your purpose is your soul's purpose is only known by two people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One is your own soul, and the other is the master of the inner ashram that your soul is a member of. You see, this philosophy says that there are seven types of souls. And each type of soul has a different way of serving and a different uh, underlying rhythm in, in terms of what to bring into the world to make an uplifting contribution. Because that's what purpose is. Purpose is always about how can I make an uplifting contribution to the betterment of something beyond myself? And every soul has that innately within it. And yet there are seven types and you're, that your soul is part of an inner ashram. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that there's a master of that ashram uh, that would also have some sense and understanding of your specific purpose, but only those two things, your own soul and that, that ashram and master would know. But having said that, there are clues that are well worth considering for everyone who's serious with looking at that question. For instance, um, um, if we look at it from an astrological point of view, one of the big clues is to recognize the higher meaning of one's ascendant, which is also called the rising sign, Mm -hmm. the sign that's cresting at the Eastern horizon at the moment of one's birth. In traditional astrology, that rising sign is said to symbolize persona, meaning how you are seen in the world or how you would like to be seen. Um, And there's truth to that, but on a much higher level, when a person is truly awakening to their own higher nature, then there's a much higher meaning to the rising sign. Indeed, it can represent an understanding of the soul's deeper intention for the life. It it says something about how the soul wants to pattern the nature of consciousness as a function of service in the outer world. So knowing the higher meaning of your rising sign is always a useful tool um, from an astrological perspective. Also, understanding what your soul ray is, which type of soul you are, and and there's a whole body of understanding how to recognize different soul types. But when you understand what soul type you are, it helps you narrow down uh, in terms of the general category of how to move your life forward in support of its intention. So those are a couple things. Another one that comes to mind is, well, you know, there's a great master who once said this, um, if you want to find the soul's purpose in your life, one of the clues is to look at the trend of your thinking. Mm -hmm. Looking at the trend of your thinking, but in your higher moments, when you're thinking about life and what the world needs and the theme or the the trend of your interests, because in the middle of that trend of thought is a golden thread and that's it. Mm. You see, you see, see, um, it's long been understood in this philosophy that the soul or the container, I should say, that is holding your soul's consciousness, it's, we call it the causal body, it's found on the higher mental plane. 
And so it has the capacity to launch trends of lofty thought and interest. Mm -hmm. So one of the things a person should always look at is that, or ask themselves rhetorically, the question of what do you like to think about? And, 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 and uh, because in that there's something important. What, what does your mind always go back to over and over? You know, I always think about the great mythologist, Joseph Campbell. I'm sure you know who he was. Oh, yes, yes. And he made famous uh, a great a sentence that is known around the world. And uh, he, he made the, the statement, follow your bliss. You've, I'm sure you've heard this, follow your bliss. Well, in, from an esoteric point of view, I would tend to rephrase that. And I would say it this way, follow the trend of your thinking that gives rise to bliss. Mm-hmm. So that's one, those, those are a few ways to understand that the, to sort of get at the question of soul purpose. So that sort of reminds me, because I take it back to a practical level. So I go back to Shrek, and uh, Donkey and Shrek are having a conversation, and the conversation is, it's really an onion, just keep peeling it back. So peeling back the bliss to get to the thinking underneath to find what it is that's prompting you. Yep, that's a good analogy, sure, yeah. (laughs) One of the experiences I've had, um, which you might want to comment on, which is, um, you know, I'm trotting along and I'm I'm doing what seems to make sense to me and, uh, you know, the things that seem natural. And then occasionally what will happen, and generally when it's time for me to move into a new direction, people will pop up and ask me for things. And I go, oh, my gosh, I can't possibly do that. Um, I had somebody suggest to me two years ago that um, you should do a podcast. And I went, oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. And then somebody else said, you should do a podcast. This was some you know, months later. And I went, no, I, I don't think I could possibly do that. And then uh, the third person popped up and went, no, really, Anne-Marie, uh, we really do need some of these stories. You really do need to be a podcast um, you know, presenter. And in the end, what happened was that, and I'm not sure quite uh, what's influencing me, but a fourth person turned up because by this stage I'm going, oh, my gosh, maybe, maybe I should. And then, of course, a podcast booth opened up on the floor of my building and, <laughs> and I ended up meeting, uh, you know, the right people at a business event. But I still was going, hmm, I'm still sitting on the fence. And then another person popped up and said, do you know what? I think you'd be great in television, at which point I completely panicked and went, I think a podcast will be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is th- that sort of even goes beyond like the thinking, like it's almost like this wave of influence is coming sort of from the outside world. Have you heard of that happening? Yeah, it, it, I often refer to that as the, the importance of the circumstantial message. Um, it is, there's actually a deep occult understanding of that process. The, the soul can often speak through the, the, the um, synchronicities of circumstance. And in the magical process, which is one of my favorite subjects in this philosophy, having to do with spiritual creativity, there's, a, there's an understanding of the, the ancient science of how to more directly work with that in order to be more effective in your service and your desire to uplift others. There's a whole category of deva. Deva is a word for angelic intelligences that I often refer to as the circumstantial deva. Mm -hmm. And those intelligence, um, they often shape patterns of circumstance so that right people cross your path at the right time doors open you didn't know existed Mm -hmm. Uh, the phone rings exactly when you need to hear from that person 
These are not random. These are there's a larger understanding of a type of intelligence that is nonlinear in time that can coordinate events uh, to make those realizations possible. So yes, it's good that you're seeing that. That's so important when walking the path. Mm. Well, that's what happens when you spend six years in the desert and uh, you realise you're not living in uh, white Australia anymore, you're actually living in Aboriginal Australia. You start to absorb some of those um, you know, different ideas and, of course, that was going walkabout. So um, certainly uh, people in town would, I don't know the answer to things, and then they would just walk out the door and keep walking and see what would happen to them. So um, it taught me to pay attention when I went for a walk, frankly. So you've just pointed to, you know, some of the things that, I mean, that's a whole area of study, this um, DVIC intelligence. But have you got some practical tips for us for, for living a spiritual life? Um, I love the term that you use, practical mysticism. And I think I'm still diving into what exactly does that mean? But if you've got some things that would be really helpful for us to do, uh, what would they be? Well, I mean, practical mysticism is the way of the future, truly. Um, and and just to get a context for that, it's it's related to the transition between Pisces and and Aquarius. So these two transitions, sixth ray to seventh ray, too. Um, we are leaving a long era of of mystical orientation to life and stepping into the world, the the era of practical mysticism, which has much to do with a more deliberate and intelligent way of grounding uh, spiritual truths in our lives. You know, um, practical mysticism is not just about the, the, the cultivating the heart, but it's also cultivating the mind. Mm -hmm. Because in this philosophy, it's understood that the mind is as sacred as the heart. A lot of people think that the heart is somehow superior to the mind, but esotericism would say nonsense. They're both sacred. They both have a higher and lower nature, but often on the spiritual journey, the goal for the first many incarnations is to develop the heart and the mystical tendency, which has a lot to do with kind of pushing the world away, pushing the world away in order to, to find inner connection with divinity through love and devotion. And um, I actually, for the last 2000 years, that's what led to religions toward a cloistered approach get behind the convent walls where you can have contemplative rapport with God and that the world out there is the challenge, the so-called world of flesh and the devil. But in truth, on a higher level, there's an, uh, the next step is to realize that we have to go into the world, into culture, into the civilization, and make a practical, uplifting contribution to the betterment of something. So the first, the first phase, which we call the probationary path, is very mystical. It is about just trying to develop that inner connection with your soul and beyond. And it's usually done through the agency of love. Yeah. But eventually you, you wake up to the realization that your higher mind is a tool that can be used to carry that love and that wisdom into the world with both a, a loving commitment to the oneness of humanity and a well-developed mind that understands how to think the process through and grounded. So both mind and heart are very involved in practical mysticism, as well as the utilization of higher will. And so, so one of the things to keep in mind for the practical mystic is to always remember that you want to try to blend love and mind together. 
-hmm. in Hinduism, that's called the process of establishing buddhi manas. Buddhi is the Hindu Sanskrit word for loving intuition, and manas is the word for mind in Sanskrit. Mm -hmm. And in a way, the whole goal is to become buddhi manasic. And when a person is fully buddhi manasic in all conditions, no matter what's happening, you get a new name. You're called the master. That's mm. that's enlightenment in the fullest sense. I could I could give you a hundred definitions of enlightenment, but that's one of them. But the other thing about practical mysticism, Anne Marie, that it's so important to know is that it goes back to what we talked about earlier. To be practical, a practical mystic is also to look out at the world, at social systems, and realize that they are living entities, and they're they're just categories of human consciousness evolving over time. And each is sacred, each has a higher nature, each has a lower nature. So practical mysticism causes you to look out at what's happening in the world and you're, you're trying to see it as a, these social patterns as large living systems with a higher and lower nature. Um, and so it, it's a whole different thing. And that you realize that every social system is sacred, but has a higher and lower nature. So you commit yourself in that way. And part of that capacity to do that is contingent upon your, 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 the measure of your third eye's opening. Mm -hmm. The third eye has many functions. I, I could talk a lot about it, but one of the functions of the third eye is to, to start to sense internally the soul hidden within all things. And when you're looking out at the world, when you watch the news, when you see what's going on in your country, when you see what's going on in politics, it's the third eye that looks beyond the form of the country or be the form of the politics to try to sense what is the soulful quality that's struggling to express itself through that form and doing it with different degrees of accuracy and distortion. That's the function of the third eye. That's called the eye of vision in the ancient literature. None of us have a fully open third eye. A fully open third eye is another measure of enlightenment. All of us have, all of us who are conscious of the path, have partially open third eyes. But that partially open third eye is enough to help you get a sense of the soul hidden within the form that you're trying to serve, whether that form is a company, a social institution, a human being. Whatever it is, those are all forms, but there's soulfulness struggling to express through those forms. I find that fascinating. Um, I'm very fortunately uh, associated with quite a few young people at the moment, and it seems like they're looking at all these different social organisations, and most of them say to me that, that their driving motivation is to make a difference. Um, and I can see young people going into everything from business to, to science to creative endeavours to um, environmentalism and they're all looking to push forward and actually make a difference and I find it really heartening um, to see this. Is there something different do you think about this particular you know cohort of young people that are coming through at, at the moment and coming into adulthood? Yeah well in a way there is. Um, um, <clears throat> I mentioned these seven types of souls, and these are seven uh, ashrams internally, and each has a different kind of agenda for helping humanity. Um, these ashrams are not in the incarnation in equal proportion. 
and some of them have huge cycles of manifesting their, their disciples they, that take many, many centuries, while others have shorter cycles. So it's a tapestry. But these ashrams, many of them are now, when I say now, I just don't mean this year. I mean over the last several years and, and more so even into the future, a more advanced group are trying to incarnate to support this incredible transition period. So in the New Age community, they often talk about the so-called uh, indigo children. Mm -hmm. In a certain kind of way, I think that that's a, the same notion. Um, in this philosophy, we have something called the New Group of World Servers. They represent the sum total of all people on the planet today who have some measure of awakening to their soul. And they are all people that have had some measure of commitment to try to live that soulful nature and transform their lower part of themselves in support of the higher and are feeling a compelling urge to make an uplifting contribution to something beyond themselves. Mm -hmm. That's what service is. But there's an inner group called the New Group of World Servers, and that group is growing um, rapidly. Mm -hmm. And that group is now in their millions around the world. And that group is much of the future of humanity hinges upon whether that group will be successful in helping humanity make this transition into a new and dawning era. Um, and many of your listeners, I'm sure, would be part of that group, but most people are completely unconscious of it. It's interesting, we're told that the masters of wisdom, the, the liberated masters, they look at that one, that group, and they see not a million people, they, say, they, they see one entity, mm -hmm. and they have another name for it. They call it the world disciple. Oh. And that group is growing rapidly, largely because of many of these young advanced souls coming into incarnation. And the hope of the future rests on that world disciple. Mm. So once again, we're talking about that idea that many are one and the one is many. So there's that interrelationship, which is absolutely beautiful. So you're going to be in Australia very shortly, and I've booked into every single talk you're going to do, William. Oh, is um, that right? So okay. look for me. I'll be there in the front seat. Um, and so I know that you're visiting Brisbane and Adelaide and Sydney, and we've got a lot of topics. I mean, some of the things that we've spoken about today, which I'm familiar with because I've sat in on all your talks, um, may be completely new to people. So the idea of uh, esoteric astrology and the rayology um, and you're coming to Adelaide, uh, which is where I am. Um, and so we're going to have a wonderful opportunity to learn more about that from you. But you're also going to be doing some amazing uh, workshops in uh, Sydney and Brisbane. And I think you've added Byron Bay onto your list as well, haven't you? Yeah, it's a full schedule, that's for sure. Are you going to get time to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to be there for three, nearly three weeks, and then a week after that, then another week in New Zealand. So it's a big trip. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be doing many things there. Um, in Adelaide, um, I'm, I'm going to be doing the Seven Ray Workshop. And that workshop is all about helping people to get a handle on what type of soul they are, which of the seven type are they. And... and um, so it's a very interactive workshop, and, and um, uh, that, that'll be a day-long workshop on February 27th, actually. Um, I'm also going to be doing a talk on esoteric astrology while I'm there, I believe. Wonderful. Um, yes, it's a breakfast, a gourmet breakfast and astrology talk. And all of this is on my website. I'll, I'll also be doing 
uh, a talk on something called the keys, which is unlocking the soul's purpose, which is kind of what we were just talking about. I'll be also doing some other things, you know, as you rightly said, I'll be in, in Sydney and in Sydney is where I have my culminating subject where I always do a whole weekend retreat there. And, and this one is a, a wonderful workshop. It's called Forerunner of the Light, Transforming the Echoes of Atlantis. Mm -hmm. and, and that's all about that new group of world servers and the critical role they play today. And that too has a lot to do with getting a sense of what ashram you are from and um, what are some of the skills needed to be more effective as a forerunner of the light. Um, I've been, it's been on the circuit now for about eight months and it's being very well received. So if people are interested in any of this, um, I just invite them to go to my website and go under events on, under Australia and it has the full list of everything. Um, yeah, I'd love to see people come join us. I will also have a link to that on our show notes as well. So there's a couple of different ways for them to find where you are and what you're doing. And I'm going to have to um, have a bit of a talk to that DVIC intelligence so I can get to Sydney for the uh, Forerunners of the Light. We'll see whether those coincidences will line up for me. Okay, well, I yeah. hope you can make it. That'd be great. Yeah. I hope so. I just want to say to everybody that's listening that um, uh, it's so important for people to realize the magnitude of the times we live in and that this is the, these next few years, really, I mark it as six or seven years are perhaps the most important years of our spiritual lives. There's so much that is predicted to be happening uh, th that as humanity walks this burning ground period. And if you have, if you, the listener, have any measure of awakening to your own soul, um, realize that you you have a gift to bring out into the world. You have a, a category of wisdom unique to your history, both your history in this life as well as many lives. And your wisdom and your love is needed more now than at any other time in human history. So I invite people to really, to really recognize the unique time and opportunity that we currently live in. Um, in. In short, this is your time. Thank you so much for that. And thanks for chatting today. I feel so spoiled. It's almost like I've had my own personal masterclass. Um, I've got some of the Alice Bailey books at home. Um, I walk through a um, secondhand bookstore and they just sort of seem to jump off the shelf and into my arms. And I must admit, I have opened them a couple of times and then I've gone, oh my gosh, that paragraph, I'm going to have to chew on that for about a week. And so then I shut the book and I came to listen to you instead because um, then I can ask questions as well. So I just want to thank you for making all of this beautiful wisdom so accessible to us. I'm really looking forward to your workshops and, and talks and I'm going to see you in a couple of weeks and I'd like to invite everybody else to come along and have a listen as well. So thank you so much. Uh, again, you're, you're welcome, Anne-Marie. Thank you. So there'll be a link to William's events and his, I'm going to put also a link up to the Soul Purpose videos. And there is a beautiful story that William tells about the burning ground. So I'm going to put a link to all of those in the show notes. So you'll just be able to click and go to some really great videos as well. Um, and if you want a, a seat at an event, I suggest you get onto that right away because he's a pretty popular bloke. And I'm not sure if some of them may have booked out or be nearly full, but um, you might want to get onto that straight away. So... Thank you. Good. <laughs> Thanks for listening. So we've been having all these high and lofty thoughts with William Meader, thinking about how we're going to be in the world, 
I don't know about you, but uh, this year has given me quite a few surprises. So next episode, we're actually going to look at a bit of a survival guide. So it might be a little bit later in the year, but we know what we're dealing with. So next time we'll have a bit of a chat about practical frameworks for being high character in the world. Don't forget to subscribe. And I love reading the comments on iTunes. Your requests for spiritual mentoring and storytelling have created something really special. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, please share with a friend or two. See you next time.